Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one. Hey, I'm Jesse Ringer. I am the founder of Method and Metric, an SEO agency based in Vancouver. Yeah, me and my background comes from years of copywriting and analytics, helping to optimize a variety of different businesses with their website content and figure out how they can turn their website into a revenue generating tool. Oh, I love it. This is going to be good because just a couple things in your intro there, I feel like are things people don't necessarily think about. And I hear arguments about all the time. So we already have a lot to talk about. So thanks for being here, Jesse. And even though you have an SEO firm, we are going to talk about landing pages, but we're going to tie it all into SEO. So this sounds like, you know, a mixed bag, but I promise it's not. It's going to be, it's going to make sense in the end. But the topic and the title for the show is optimizing landing pages for SEO success. So Right away, we've already kind of tied it together. (laughs) But first, we're going to talk about, I think, what you were saying in your intro about how you can make your website generate revenue. Like, first of all, for a lot of lawyers, they don't believe that's possible for sure. Like I, that's in my initial conversations with them. Often they're like, oh, we don't need, we don't care about the website. It doesn't, it doesn't make money for us. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. So Let's start with that. What do you what do you typically say if anybody were to say anything like that to you? What would you say? Oh man, I get that comment and feedback constantly. And what I tell them is is that your website is always working for you. It's always on and it isn't necessarily always going to be a direct correlation to your bottom line, but it's an opportunity for people who have never heard of you, never seen you in action, get a sense of who you are, what you do, and do you align with like what they're looking for or what they value. Yeah. And with a website, like even just having your phone number, email address, and a contact form are just like simple, low barriers to entry to get people to reach out to you. Yeah. And I think the flip side, and maybe this will resonate more with people, but the flip side is if you're making a lot of mistakes and you haven't touched your website in 10 years and it's got a lot of either errors or problems or just doesn't really, it's just old and kind of outdated, that can definitely turn people off. So I think it's pretty obvious for people to understand that that could lose you money for sure. (laughs) If you can lose clients by a poorly presenting website, then clearly the reverse should be true, right? You can then therefore make money by a website that's performing well or correctly or you know, doing well on SEO and all that. Yeah. So uh, it just seems obvious to me, but at the same time, this is, you know, you and I do this all day long. And so, you know, things that seem obvious to us might not necessarily make sense to other people. <laughs> I, I know the way I think isn't always logical. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk, let's get into landing pages. Like, let's first of all explain what a landing page is because it's not always a commonly discussed thing when it comes to lawyers' websites. Yeah. So a landing page, I mean, technically it can be any page on your website. It is the first page that a person will visit. So you can call it an entrance page if you want, but landing page is kind of like the The common term. Yeah. Yeah. And so effectively it's just like 
the first touch point that people are going to experience your brand. Yeah. So a lot of firms are going to do this in what I almost consider not quite the right way. And they're going to assume that the landing page is your homepage. Uh, and they spend uh, all their time and energy designing that homepage. And then the rest is sort of a second thought. And so we'll often get partway through a project and, and I'll say, you know, there's a good chance that a lot of people aren't going to, their first impression is not going to be your homepage. It's going to be a blog post or it's going to be somewhere else on the site that aligned with their search. And so is that set up for that? <laughs> like, have you like thought that through? <laughs> yeah. And all of yeah. a sudden, like, it's like, you know, holy smokes, like now what? <laughs> right? Yeah. Totally. Right? So, like so many firms like to do like a single page website, like designers are like one page. It's so easy. All your content's right there and everything is accessible. Yeah. Why is that a bad idea? Why is that a bad idea? Oh, so. <laughs> like keeping it to less than an hour response. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So the first thing is the content that you have at the bottom of your page is going to be harder for search engines to rank and index. Also, why? if somebody, why? Because the way people interact on web pages, they're yeah. looking, let's, let's speak about it from a search perspective. If you do a Google search, you are looking for an answer. And if that answer is on the page that you click on right at the beginning, you're going to stick around. Yeah. But if it's buried below all this other stuff, you're not going to stay. You're right. going to think this page is not about me and leave. Right. And so Google takes that into consideration being like, if this information is at the very bottom of the page, obviously it's not super important to the website or its people. So you won't rank for the keywords that you're trying to target at the bottom of that page. Yeah. So the short answer is it does matter where you're placing your words and it matters quite a bit. And if all of your words are all on one page, you know, only a few of them can be up at the top. And so if you're putting super important stuff all on one page buried super low, Google is not going to be happy. And yeah. the whole goal here is to make Google happy. Right? Exactly. The other yeah. thing too is like Google looks at bigger websites as more authoritative. Yes. If you're able to speak on a topic with a great amount of expertise, which I assume all your listeners have, you know, then Google's going to see that, that like that you're valuable and worthwhile to show in the search results. Right. And so that kind of alludes to your blog posts and a lot of content. And when you start thinking about blog posts and all of the bajillions of different topics that you could and should be writing about, how does that even, how would that even make sense to put it all on one page? Like it, it wouldn't. And for people to be reading about, you know, all the different types of your practice areas and the ways that they, they could work with you and the answers they have to all their questions, like putting that all on one page would just be a giant, I'm picturing like hoarders, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like yeah. it's just like dumping everything in the middle of a room and then it just sort of molds like it's just yeah. gets old and stale and gross and then like the <laughs> you know, he needs to make a show about this yes. single page websites website hoarders <laughs> that would be awesome 
Yeah. I love shows like that. Okay, so basically clean up your mess. Like don't be a hoarder with your content and throw it all in a messy, disorganized kind of way on one page. But at the same time, we are still talking about landing pages, which are going to be one succinct page trying to say a few different things about one specific thing. So, so first, how how should we consider these landing pages different than a homepage? Yeah, so your homepage is kind of like the first opportunity for people to get to like a sense of your entire brand landing pages are like the more specific service and knowledge that you share so your blog posts they'll touch on different parts of your your business your practice that are associated to your specific services yeah and your service pages will speak to you know each of those services. If you do estate planning, that's a page. If you do mm, contract negotiations, that's a that's a page. If you do mediation, that's a page. Right? Yeah. And then you want to speak to that topic in an informed way and like what does it look like for a person that's going to work with you? What's that experience going to look like? Okay. So then what is the purpose of the landing page as compared to that service page or a blog post? Yeah. So Obviously, your service pages are going to be much more transactional in nature. You're trying to explain you know, how you work, what your process is like, what they can expect when they're working with you, and what they can expect as an outcome from this service. Yeah. Your blog posts, you should think about them as a way to kind of demonstrate your expertise and your knowledge within the space. Yeah. So your med- mediation page, as an example, would be like, we will formulate all the information, gather all that stuff, build a case, go through the, and this is the process. Whereas like, man, how do I know if mediation is right for me? Yeah. And you will talk about that in a blog post. It's much less formal. It's, you know, a little more personal and provides a bit of context to other parts of your business. You're not trying to necessarily sell them on your service just yet, but you're just trying to give them a sense of like, are you the right people to work with? Yeah. And do you know what you're talking about? Yeah, that's yeah. pretty. Yeah, that yeah, goes like, without saying. That's the undercurrent. Right. Of all of this. Yeah. yeah. Is this blog post grammatically accurate? Does it sound like it was written by AI? So that's a good kind of sub question. How can we use AI for these kinds of things without it kind of dismantling everything that we're doing here? Because there is a point where AI can come in and kind of ruin all the efforts that you're putting forward in all this content creation and the, you know, all this content and the messaging that you're putting forth. So what's your recommendation in terms of AI for all of this blog post landing page? Uh, Don't, don't let AI write your opening arguments. I think that should be a rule. I, I didn't realize we need to say that out loud. But, but we do. <laughs> again, on the same thing for landing pages, like AI, ChatGPT specifically, is a giant database of all this content that existed prior to 2021. Right. So you are, if you're going to use it to write your content, you're taking the average of everyone else's ideas. Yes. It is not going to be original. It is not going to have your brand voice. It is not going to win you any arguments it won't lose you any arguments but it's not going to be terribly compelling and so when you're if you want to use it like there's a lot of ways you can use it in a way that's actually productive yeah in that 
helping you build kind of like a framework for your blog content as to what you should speak about. Perhaps give you some ideas on, you know, a different like alternatives, like like a thesaurus and things like that. Just giving sure. you a diverse set of ideas and experience there. But ultimately, people want to work with you because they like you, they trust you, and they know that you're smart and an expert. Right. And, and that Chat personality GPT stuff is not going to come out in ChatGPT. No. So no. yeah, I think that's a great advice. Kind of use it sort of to outline your work, get you started, get that mm -hmm. ball rolling. And you can that could be a good 50-60% of of getting started with that work. Yeah. So you could even go yeah. back one step too and like help you uncover topics to write about. Yes, absolutely. I like to use Bard for that because I feel like Bard is the one that is driven by Google. And so it doesn't have that issue with the, you know, being outdated and it uses Google obviously. So you're going to be able to search more and I can ask it questions like go find the most popular search questions on this topic. But then to go in and fill in those missing gaps that you were mentioning a minute ago, where it says it's not going to have your brand voice. It's not going to win the argument for you. So go in and recognize, okay, these are the gaps. And so now I have to add those elements and, and then run it through and make sure that it's not reading. There's places where you can run it through and it'll tell you whether it's been written by AI. Google can tell. So run it through and make sure that it's not being scanned that way because that's going to ding your SEO. So once again, you're going to be punished for SEO when that's the whole thing you're trying to accomplish here. So like that makes no sense. So yeah, d you can definitely use it. Save some time, you know, save, save some research, all that stuff, but don't use it just, you know, mm -hmm unfiltered, not unadjusted. Okay, so coming back to landing pages, you were talking about kind of creating the blog content, answering some questions, making sure that if you use AI that we're using, adding the brand voice and the, and the tone and the personality and all the things that people are hiring you for. So what are some mistakes do you see people making with landing pages? Oh, man. Okay, <laughs> I think, let's go with the biggest one. I think that the biggest mistake people tend to make with their landing pages is forgetting about the next step. So what action you want them to take on the, with that page. So like a blog post, they're generally looking for an answer and maybe they need more information around that topic. So have additional blog posts related to that topic that they could explore yeah. on your service pages, you know, have a call to action that says, book a call to find out more information, fill out this questionnaire and see how we could work together. Like, yeah. People often, 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 often forget to include a call to action. What do you want them to do with this page? Your website exists to generate business. Right. How do you do that? You got to <laughs> tell them what to do. Yeah. And so that's the biggest, biggest, biggest thing. I see that all the time. I mean, I, I can't even... I think of the how many times I've seen it even recently, like trying to, I just planned a birthday party for my kids and trying to find a bakery that I could send an email to. Like, I think there's a lot of fear still for certain businesses that aren't very tech focused, like law firms and maybe bakeries, apparently, <laughs> that still think that putting an email address on your website is going to get you a lot of spam. And so they don't do that. And it's like, what is the point of all of this work if you're not going to have that final, most important detail of giving them a way to take that next step? So 
I can't underscore this enough that, you know, what you're just kind of describing this, what happens next is where you start, really, like before you even build that page. Okay, so what's the thing that happens after this? What do I need to do? So what do you usually recommend for people on a landing page in terms of like how they build that sequence? Yeah. So understand the intention of each page. So your blog posts are going to be very different in experience. We've been talking about it so far on this podcast. Like they're going to be different than your service pages, right? So blog posts, don't try and sell them on a retainer when they just ask like, what is a mediation experience like? Right. You know, and then, so make it, you know, a low barrier to entry, make it valuable for them and make it like a logical next step. So more content, maybe your blog post leads them to sample cases on your website. And then with like the service pages, you really should be leading them to a contact form, an email address. And so just being really mindful like that, if it's too big of a jump from what they just read to the action you need them to take, it's going to be jarring and uncomfortable. You know, if you're just reading a website for the first time and then it's like fully into age, birthday, social yeah. number, like yes. that's, that's not logical. That's like too, yeah. too big of a jump. So I have yeah. had some clients where they do have a full intake form on their website as kind of that first point of contact where, and they insist on it. So even though I try to argue against it, but it's kind of like dating and getting way ahead. You know, it's like on the first date asking someone to marry you. And it's like, whoa, like I am not gonna give you my date of birth and social security number when I'm just trying to like set up a call and see, you know, if you could give me some info about your services. So. I really highly recommend, especially on contact forms, not having more than a couple fields, name, email, maybe phone number, but not everybody wants to do that even, and maybe a message block. We also highly recommend, we had someone on the podcast a few months ago that was talking about kind of having almost like a a wizard where we use type form for our intake, where it walks you through the questionnaire instead of having that form. And the implication there was that oftentimes your clients don't know what they want. And so to have a questionnaire and have boxes that they have to check, like, you know, what's what's your problem or how can we solve it? And then have them sort of like check boxes saying, I'm gonna need this kind of a deposition and I'm gonna need this kind of a legal form and whatever. And it's like they often don't know what this stuff is. That's what they're coming to you for. So asking more kind of pointed questions about where are you at? What do you need? What's your question? And and then you providing that answer is, I f- feel like yeah. it's really important in those initial intake questions. Yeah. So we were talking about landing pages and then we we're mixing in service pages and blog posts. Do you mm-hmm. recommend making the landing page a standalone separate kind of page or mixing that in and making landing pages out of the service pages and blog posts. Yeah. So, I mean, I come from a very data driven perspective. Yeah. And so I always like to have the contact form pages on a separate page only so that it's easier to track and measure the engagement on that form. Yeah. If you have it at the bottom of every page on your site, it's going to be hard to know 
if that form is really working on those pages or not. Yeah. And granted, like, there's two schools of thought. Like, if you're adding an extra click, you might lose some people. Sure. But at the same time, I think that if your offer and you've compelled them enough, like, they'll, they'll make the click and, and take action. So I like having it on a separate page, but it depends on what the ask is. Like, and then what about actual like a landing page where you're asking for like they're looking for a specific download or it's a specific landing page coming from an ad or something yeah. like that where it's a separate, totally separate page from one of the service pages. I, I feel like yeah. there's some places where they want that for the specific data kind of reason that you're describing. And then some people don't because it's just it's more work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In those examples, like if you're running a paid ad campaign, yeah. you should have those ads driving right to a contact form or contact opportunity. You're paying for those ads, so make sure you're getting the most opportunity to generate more revenue from it. Yeah. Don't send your ads to a homepage, to your homepage. It's like, it's not useful. Right. Same goes with like if you're down offering a, a white paper or a PDF document, like have the... F- Offer on the page, have that form right there, and then when they put in their email address and they click send, they'll get the the PDF at the yeah. end. Yeah. Okay, so you yeah. kind of stepped into the world of data, and I know in Canada you pronounce it data, <laughs> so we'll you just know, mix I, it up. <laughs> we're all over. Sometimes it's data, other times it's data. I know it's like niche and niche. I can't stand um, it. I try to find a different word all the time whenever yeah. that comes up. So we will use analytics instead. <laughs> I think we can agree on that. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I grew yeah. up in Minnesota, so I have the long O kind of Canadian slightly sound thing too. Gotcha. So anyway, getting to the point here. So let's talk about <laughs> analytics instead of the D-A-T-A yeah. word. And where, so you mentioned a minute ago that people will drive, oftentimes drive a ad to their homepage, and that's kind of a mistake. Not kind of, it is a mistake. And so describe why that's a mistake, and then let's get more into talking about analytics and numbers and all that good stuff and and what people get wrong about it. Okay, so when you're paying for exposure in the ads, you need to be considering like what your revenue opportunities are for that. And you want to make sure that you are making it as easy as possible for the people that are clicking on those ads to take action to ultimately lead to more revenue opportunities for you. Right. When you send a person to your homepage, there's a lot of different ways that they could go. They could go to your about page. They could go to a blog post. They could check out your services. They could just scroll through that homepage without a clear action. And so... The simplest way to describe it is there's just too many distractions. You want to have people go to a page that is action-oriented and very clear that they are going to get a result. If you give them too many opportunities and too too much choice, it makes it a lot harder for them to make a choice, but they also just get more distracted. Right. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I feel like decision paralysis is something I talk about probably three times a week, but it is such a major part of marketing and conversion. So if you aren't making it super clear, the other one I bring up all the time is kind of a throwback. Seth Godin had this old school book called something about a fez, like those hats. And his whole philosophy that I still think stands is on every web page, assume your visitors are all monkeys and you have to give them one banana, 
one banana. They're monkeys. They're going to get easily distracted if you put a banana here, a banana there, whatever. One banana. And that's how I typically explain a call to action. It has to be one. You can have a secondary call to action, which is like, okay, if you're not ready for the banana yet, like, for example, if, if you're a divorce attorney, this happens quite often. They're not quite ready. They're kind of thinking about it. It's maybe going to happen six months down the road. That first banana is if you're ready today, here's you know how to contact us, schedule a consultation, whatever. But if they're not, then then what are they ready for? So then you as the lawyer knows this best. What are they what do you probably what kind of questions are you answering? Or what are they asking you for? Do they want some sort of form? Do they want information? Do they want a blog post? You know, what is that thing that they are then asking for if they're not quite ready? If they want information, send them to your blog. If they want a form, send them some forms. You know, whatever that thing is, that's going to be your secondary, but it's not a banana. So it's not going to be a big yellow bright button. It's going to be like a text link where it's like, okay, Here's the banana, one banana. Here's the text link if you're not quite ready. Like very simple, but you can he- see how this like hierarchy of design data, design, I guess we're not using the word data, but <laughs> this design can, makes sense. Leave it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So anyway, to jump in, to jump in on that whole idea where like the call to action needs to be clear and your homepage is, is not that thing. So, so let's talk then about how you figure out all of these things. Like, how do you figure out what, you know, how do you take a look at the analytics and figure out what kind of content you're going to write? What kind, what are you going to do with all this analytics? What, how do you figure this out from the analytics? Because you know, Google has got, these analytics reports have got really pretty complicated. They are, especially with GA4 now, which is another topic. But yeah, I would say one thing that you should be looking at within the analytics is, we'll, we'll use Google Analytics of this. I'm hoping that your listeners are using GA4. You want to look at like where people are arriving to your website, what the landing pages are, yeah. and then look to see where they go next. Because then you can start to build a bit of an idea of like what is what are the natural logical steps that people are taking for them. Yeah. If it doesn't make sense to you, then you need to change it. But if it is clear, then you can start to see okay, if the person reads this blog post and then they go to this I don't know FAQ section, then that's an opportunity to be like okay, at this FAQ, all right, come talk, speak to an expert. Yeah. If they are arriving on a service page and they go over to your sample cases, then maybe that's an area to then, you know, include maybe some of your sample uh, cases on that page as well. Yeah. Give them more opportunities that way. Like what you're trying to uncover here is the the behavioral actions that your visitors are taking and making it easier for them. Yes. Like remove the speed bumps, you know, like remove the the little hiccups that are going to detract them from, you know, getting to the banana. Right. And then like <laughs> move the banana closer. Exactly. Like- That's it exactly. And and I will just add that oftentimes there's there's something that our clients want to ha- see happen and it just doesn't work that way. So sometimes the best example I have of this is sometimes the client assumes that everyone wants to read their bio. 
and they may not. If they are in, if there are a certain kind of practice area and that is really important and your background and your experience is a really important part of that decision, maybe. But if you are a DUI attorney and they are in an urgent situation and they just want to get it done, they basically want to know that you, you already know this. They want to know you're available. They want to be able to text you right away. They want to be able to see the website on mobile and they just want it done and over quickly. Where you went to law school, they kind of don't care. And I hate to break it to your ego, <laughs> but it's the truth. So if you see this sequence, if you assume the sequence is they come to my homepage, then they go to my bio and they spend a whole lot of time praising this law school I went to and then read about all the things I wrote while I was in law school and my fraternity brothers and all. And then that doesn't happen. We have you have to allow for the data to be true. Right. So if that's not what happens and you see that they come to your home page and then they quickly go to your contact page, that's the truth. And now we have to build that up and we have to move that contact page closer and worry less about the bio page and your resume and, you know, all of that. Um, because I will say that's where I see most firms spending so much time and effort is updating that bio page and every article they've ever written for whatever. And oftentimes that's pointless. Oftentimes that's not where people are spending any time. So, you know, like what, why are you spending hours and hours like re redrafting your bio when nobody's reading it? <laughs> you know? yeah. We, we worked with a, a law firm here in Vancouver where they insisted that all the imagery on the website needed to be of the artwork they have in their oh, office. Because they wanted to create a connection between the website and the office, but nobody ever went to the page nobody cares. that had the artwork. No, like, nobody, nobody brought it up. No, all unless all of your clients are artists, and that's a major concern. Which, like, maybe fair, that you know, fair. maybe that you do. There is a firm that works with that. I, it's funny you mention it because I have another client similar that it, she does work with kind of nonprofits, some of which are arts organizations. And so like the art on her site is it's a main focus. However, let's keep in mind that this is a law firm's website. And yes, you're trying to say something about the art, but that's sitting in the background where it needs to. Right. And it's a background of the website. And so we don't need to spend four hours discussing what piece of art is going to go in the background of a page of a website where we're really trying to say something else. Like it's, it's a page that's talking about one of her practice areas. And so it's like, you can't have that compete. You can't yeah. be like having this piece of art in the background and also trying to say, Hey, let me tell you about my DUI services. <laughs> I feel right. like we got a little derailed on the art when we were trying to talk about analytics. <laughs> Bottom line here is that, let the data be true, yeah. you know, and yeah. even if it's like kind of a little bit painful for where you want it to be, like you want to believe that everybody cares a lot about the art in your office and maybe some people do, but that's not why they're hiring you. No. So, okay. So what else about analytics? You said, take a look at what their kind of next step when they first land on the, on the website. What other things are some basic details that people should be paying attention to in terms of their analytics and what what's useful there yeah obviously one good piece of analytics sleuthing is 
looking at pages that don't have a lot of entrances, so they're not great landing pages, but people are still visiting them a lot. Yeah. And this can be a good sign that your pages are not well optimized for search, but they're extremely important to your visitors and your potential clients. And on the flip side, like if you see a page has a lot of exits, but not a lot of visits, like then maybe you need to be retooling that page and figuring out where they want to go next. And that might be some opportunities there. Scroll depth is a new event tracking opportunity in Google Analytics 4. So you can see how far people are scrolling down your content. So kind of coming back to what we were talking about earlier, like how far they're going down to read the data and keeping the most important stuff at the top. Yeah, if nobody is scrolling past like 25% of your page, maybe you need to rethink that page. So going back to what you were saying a minute ago about having some posts that aren't that are getting good traffic but aren't necessarily high on your priority list, what would you recommend, you know, if you've got this this cool post that people are really finding interesting and useful and you're getting some good traffic, what should people do with something like that? Yeah, so if they if it's getting a lot of visits from people that are already on the website but not a lot of entrances, consider just reviewing your kind of top level SEO components. So Does your meta title and meta description, that's the blue link in the Google search results, are those optimized properly? Is your content structured in a a nice, simple way? So with like headers, bullet points, imagery, and make it more digestible for scrolling. The third thing is, are you linking to this page enough within your own website with like good keyword rich links? So don't just have like learn more or click here, have like action terms, learn more about divorce proceedings, learn more about what the DUI process is like, have action terms within those anchor texts yeah. and then share it a bunch on social. Yes. I, I, I hope all of the lawyers and attorneys listening today are on social media in some capacity, like share that content yeah. and like start getting more signals to these pages. And that's, that's really like the big stuff. Awesome. Okay. It is time for the book review. So (laughs) (laughs) in case anybody was looking at the clock and wondering how long it was going to be before we got to the book review, it's now time. So if you haven't checked it out on our website, we have a library of all the books that all of our guests have, have mentioned and recommended. It's a cool resource because they're typically talking about one specific topic related to marketing business, you know, something related to your law firm. And so there's awesome, an awesome set of books there. And we're well over 100 episodes now. So there's a lot of books there. So that's my little blurb pitch for the library. But Jesse, what's the book that you are going to recommend for the library today? Yeah, the book I'd like to recommend is Living in Data by Jer Thorpe. He is also from Vancouver, but it's a fantastic book on the reality of like how much data we actually live in in day to day and like everything we touch, everything we do, you know, a hundred episodes, that's a hundred data points, right? You know, even more like everything we do now can be converted into analytics. And he is a great storyteller and he incorporates like beautiful writing and thinking and storytelling into something that is notoriously dry and boring. 
Well, that is such a good review because, first of all, it ties in perfectly with what we were describing and talking about like how to pull out some of that info and how to look at this overwhelming amount of information that, that Google is handing you about your website. And most people, a lot of my clients anyway, will come to me and say, okay, I know that we get these reports, but it's... I, I don't get it. Like, what am I supposed to know? So right away, like you've given them some awesome little tips. But now if you want to go further, is this book, it's obviously more than just about websites and Google Analytics, right? It's it's about kind of information in general. Yeah, it's so he man, PhD, super smart. He does, talks about using algorithms to, to, to deduce like ideas and stuff. He worked on the 9-11 memorial. Oh, um, wow in New York City, yeah. And there was a request to get all of the names like associated to other people that passed away during the tragedy and he was able to create an algorithm that could associate all the names as closely as possible. And like he used all these data metrics and uh, analytics to, to formulate that. So what he did, like he details his work in just such an interesting way Yeah, um, that makes analytics and data much more approachable. Yeah, that's cool. Because like, yeah, most most of the time you read stuff from guys like that that are very numbers based and it's a little painful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it's an interesting read. It's a yeah, the story and it's it, for me and like for people that I know have read it like it lowers the barrier to being interested in analytics that is not just numbers it's actually patterns yeah. and rhythms within you know within all the numbers so well and yeah. to like put a bow on it i feel like that's where we're all headed you know people are so concerned with ai and these you know robots taking over the world and all of this stuff but at the end of the day the the piece that i keep hearing over and over when people are having these conversations is that the analysis from the data, the personality we were talking about before, the human aspect of all of these can't be replaced. So taking the very basic administrative mundane work and handing that over to AI, but then taking what AI gives you and adding a human component, doing the, an the analysis of what you get from the data and creating a story out of it, that's the part that is, is where we're headed. That's the part that we, where we're going to get paid for and that's going to be the quality work people are working, looking for as opposed to just that kind of, you know, sort of mundane stuff that AI can do for us. So I really feel like that's, that's the future of, of the kind of work that we do is being a little more involved and going to a, a different level with the yeah. strategy, analytics, the understanding, the humanity of all of it. Yeah, I was just gonna, I'm like, yeah, humanizing all of this. Yes, exactly. Like, awesome. Yeah. Okay, so Jesse, what's one big takeaway that you'd like people to get from this whole episode? Because we covered a lot. We, were, we talked about landing pages, SEO, analytics, data, data, however you want to pronounce it, <laughs> all of that good stuff. What's the one kind of thing that you, you'd mainly like people to walk away with? Yeah, I think that is a two-part thing, but have a diverse set of pages on your website and 
have a good understanding of what those pages, what those sections are intended to do for your people, not just for your business, but like for the people that are coming to your website. Yeah. And if you can align those properly, you'll see a ton of success in converting your website visitors into potential customers. Yeah. And then that brings it kind of full circle to where we were talking in the beginning about how some people not believing that their website can re can generate revenue. And so when you're actually when it's working and when you're getting people and you're getting phone calls and you're getting people to do all of these things and follow the sequence, there's money. You know, all of a sudden now it's work. Now you get it like the light bulb goes off and it's great. Jesse Ringer is the founder of Method and Metric. Thank you so much. I thought that was a really awesome conversation. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. That was super fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.